Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. Ding, 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 ding. I hate that jingle. Someone should make a 12-inch dance mix of that Skype ringtone. Yeah, and, and, and play it as a torture. I, I really hate it. If I ever hear that on hold music on the telephone, I'll hang up. Yeah, that's what you have you to You know, have. it's bad enough hearing Vivaldi's Four Seasons all the time on hold music, but the Skype ringtone, for, for those who don't use Skype, whenever we're going to call each other on Skype, I forgot today actually to message you incoming. We kind of warn the other person to mute their Mac so we don't have to hear that tone, not just because it's an annoying tone, but because for some reason Skype takes over the volume on your Mac and puts it up to the max. Yeah. I don't, it, it's, it, I, I, you, you can tell I have no words for this phenomenon. <laughs> I go through this with every single podcast. And if you mute your Mac too soon, then Skype can unmute it. You have to mute it just before you call or just when you're warned you've got an incoming call. Uh, we could do it on FaceTime. But we have problems recording on FaceTime. Remember? I have problems on my end that the volume... Anyway, it, we no one wants to hear about that, do they? I don't think so. Although the chime thing, it's funny... Um, do you remember Apple Matters? There was a website called Apple Matters. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah, and they had hired me to, they were doing a This Day in Apple History blog post or something. And they also wanted it as an audio thing, as a daily audio thing. So I recorded 365 This Day in Apple History wow. things years ago. <clears throat> but anyway, the way it opened up was it was a montage of all the Apple chimes put together. Right. And I can still hear it in my head. It's really annoying. <laughs> but it was a clever idea because you got the whole, you got the idea of, a, of historical, you know, chimes. But I thought it was funny that they actually went together pretty well. I mean, you learned it because, you learned it as a melody because it was so discordant and bizarre. But if you knew the, you knew the sounds to begin with, it's funny. I just looked and the website's still up. The oh, last good. post dates from 2011. Yeah, that was a while ago. When they were celebrating this day in Apple history, August 11, 1955, Steve Wozniak was born. Yep. W would I find your music on the... No, no, there's no music on the website. Actually, the website looks really broken. Probably. I wonder why they've left it up. Did someone just pay for the hosting and forget about it? I, I you know, now we're, we're getting into an area that That's I don't weird. really... I don't know. Okay. Sorry. I bought a headphone amp. You did? To use with headphones. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's how. That's what it is. That's what I'm going to use it for. Um, but actually, I don't know what I'm going to use it for. I had one of those things. I had one of those brain farts on the weekend. One of those Saturday geek dad things. It's like I went into a daydream and I thought, you know, if I wired this a certain way and I had the audio going that way. Yeah. And I, but if I did that, by golly, I think I'd going to need a headphone amplifier. So... Off to Amazon I go to look at the, the cheap little headphone yep. D-class amplifiers because that's what ultimately what I really wanted to do. I really just wanted to look at stuff. Yeah. So I found this nice little um, Doak, D-O-U-K. I'll pull it up for you. I think I found it. Is it, is it like just a plug and a knob? It's a plug and a knob, and it's gold. Go, gold brass front, gold, gold front. front. Yeah. yeah, you got it. Yeah. So... I see this thing and I go, well, it's it's inexpensive. I've I've actually bought other things from 
Doke. Duke. Duke. Dauk. Dauk. Yeah. But anyway, I bought other uh, of their products, stuff that changes RCA to HDMI, um, that transfers RCA to optical, uh, Toslink, all those things. You know, when I was messing around with, I have a receiver that only has HDMI input that I use for audio. I don't use it for the video. Yep. So it's a little cumbersome when you want to plug, like, say, oh, a phonograph into it. But I don't, I don't use a phonograph. But if I needed to, well, now I can use the headphone amp. But now, see, I had forgotten the reverie that I had fallen into that, 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 that compelled me to look up what I needed a headphone amp for. So now I have a headphone amp, and I don't know what to do with it. And it, any, any purpose that I would think of it would be purely for luxurious. <laughs> it would just be overkill. I mean, I was thinking, oh, I, have, I still have those little Apple... Airport Expresses. I could plug an Airport Express into the headphone app, and then I could have a headphone listening station anywhere in the house. But why would I want to do that? We all have wireless headphones and things like that now. Exactly. It makes a lot more sense to have Bluetooth, unless you've got some really high-end headphones, because these amps all have, what do you call them, quarter-inch? Yeah. Are they quarter-inch jacks? Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah, six and a half millimeters. They all have the big jacks, so you'd need an adapter to go into the small jacks. Yep. Now, I'm surprised you bought that one and not the Behringer Microamp HA400, which is a four-channel amp and looks like serious gear. Well, you know, there are some serious little amps. You know how I think these little D-class amps are sexy. I have like five of them in the house. Yep. I just look at them. They are the cutest little things. Some of them are pretty hideous, but some yeah. are, you know, that's perfect. It's just what you need. They blast audio out of the things. Yep. I mean, I didn't believe it until I actually had a couple of them, but you can get these little tiny D-class amps that'll put out 100 watts per channel and a subwoofer. And you, what did Timex used to say? Takes a licking and keeps, keeps on, on ticking. ticking. Yeah. I mean, these things are just powerful little animals. And, and they're cute, like kittens. Yeah. In my opinion. <laughs> and you have lots of kittens. Not right now, but at, yeah. you've had kittens many times. W what I find interesting is I we should get our friend Chris Conacher on the show to talk about D-class amps or class D amps at some point, because I know I've read a number of things on his audiophile style website and elsewhere saying that D-class amps are the devil's spawn. <laughs> Yet, if you think about it, any self-powered speaker is a D-class amp. Right, be it a HomePod, a Sonos One, even those Kef wireless speakers that the the cheaper models, a thousand dollars, a thousand pounds, the more expensive ones over two thousand, those are D class amps as well, and they get wonderful ratings. So I think there was a a hesitancy early on among audiophiles, maybe in part because they're so small, and when you've got gear lust, you don't want something that gets lost in the piles of gear, and also because they're so inexpensive that that kind of questions the idea of audiophiles needing to spend so much money on an amplifier. It's heresy. It's heresy to spend $25 on a 100-watt amplifier and and be completely happy with it. The great thing I like about them is they're very clean. That this, The audio that comes to them is very, very clean. And, you know, I didn't believe it either. I thought, oh, I thought to myself, you've got to have a big receiver with the thing, and it's got to have heat sinks and blah, blah, blah. And you get one of these things, and it is a heat sink, and it just takes it, it can it can really crank out some some great audio on speakers. I've run, you know, I don't have fabulous speakers, but I do have, I think, you know, nice speakers, and I've never had a problem getting enough power through them with these things. Well, my Sonos amp is a Class D amplifier as well. Mm -hmm. I, I think what they do for these is they have a separate amplifier per channel. Let me just find, let me just go into the Sonos page and see Sonos Amp, Sonos Amp, our best ever wireless device, they say. 
And of course, finding the details on these things isn't really easy. Um, features and specs. Audio Class D amplifier, 128 watts per channel at 8 ohms. So it's a single one. But when you have powered speakers, self-powered speakers, obviously each speaker has its own amplifier. And I know audiophiles like having separate amplifiers per channel because you don't get crosstalk or overlap or something. I don't know the vocabulary. It, it, it makes sense. I mean, what the, the excuse they have for it, to me, makes sense, but I don't know if it really is sensible. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can listen to it. It's like, Q, you know, it's like QAnon. It's like, well, that makes sense. But, um, <laughs> but it's not, but it doesn't make sense ultimately. I, I wish there were, I, I wish there were some of these little amplifiers with airplay. They have Bluetooth, which is quite good. No, it's not. Bluetooth isn't lossless. Well, if it is, if it's AAC, right? If it's an A, it depends on what no, kind of it's the, not. What Bluetooth. Um... No, no, it's still not lossless. All Bluetooth is a is lossy compression, and that's that's one of the advantages of of airplay. The, the thing is, it's just that the market doesn't exist because again, the Sonos speakers are airplay. The Sonos One, and it's got that kind of amplifier and a speaker. Uh, I think it's just that the, there's that would add a cost to these little amps. Although I'm sure there's a lot of people who would want them. I don't know. It's See, here's the thing. Like I just said, I could hook up an Airport Express to a headphone amp, and boom, I could AirPlay, well, AirPlay 1, um, right. pretty much anything to a, a station. In fact, I, have, I do have a D-Class amp with a Bluetooth wireless receiver that people use in the living room. So when they come in, anybody can hook into it without having to wire it or make a mess of things. You just invite your guests to come in and play music on your amplifier. We don't invite anybody in the house that isn't related. Well, not Nobody's these days. in the house. Okay, Nobody comes yeah. in the house. It's weird. Don't you know there's a pandemic on? Really? Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where you've been. Well, you're in a, you're in a isolated location. I'm in a secret isolated location. Yeah. The isolated location. So I no, was wait a minute. We'll go back to Sonos now. Did you, did you or did you pre-order one of those new Sonos? You did. I did the Sonos Roam. So that's the little. Did you order two or one? No, just one. That's the little uh, Toblerone speaker, as you say. Yeah, the Toblerone. I'm not yeah. particularly interested in having portable stereo. Yeah, but I was wondering how they would work as static stereo. As what if you put them in a place in the house that was, uh, you know. Well, they're more expensive than the Sonos One speakers. But they're not more and expensive the than the One pair of HomePod speakers that you have. You mean the ones that I'm going to sell on eBay? That's right. <laughs> that you could buy a <laughs> pair of Roams with. Yeah, but I don't need a pair because I've got Sonos yeah. Ones. I'm going to, I will sell the HomePods because the lack of Apple support. Oh, we haven't talked about that. It was, what, 10 days ago that Apple announced that they're discontinuing the original HomePod. Yes. And this was quite a surprise when you think that... They only just announced that HomePod theater where you can use two original HomePods to get Dolby Atmos together with an Apple TV. It was only announced a few months ago, or it only released a few months ago. And now they have the HomePod Mini, which is... Uh, imagine if there's just a one device and it's called HomePod Mini. The fact that it's got a qualifier makes you think there's another one, right? Well, you know how good they are at like uh, cannibalizing the names and reship. They could easily come out with something else later called... Uh HomePod Biggie and uh, and say, this is the new HomePod. It's the Mini, but now the Mini is something else. And the HomePod is like, it doesn't suggest audio. It suggests something yeah. for the home. Yes. So a HomePod could also be, I don't know, a weather station or something. I don't know. 
funny that you mentioned that because in the press, in the Mac press today, there was just a mention that the HomePod Mini contains a temperature and humidity sensor. Really? It's a particular chip that does that. And apparently the sensor is far enough away from the electronics that it's not going to be affected by the heat of the device. And so one speculation is that, yes, a weather station. The other speculation is it's simply there for warranty enforcement. So if you've used it in the bathroom and there's too much humidity and it breaks, they would Yeah, you but know, couldn't they, they just to... does that need a chip that can detect humidity or can't you just put a piece of metal in there that cha- a piece of plastic that changes color? Well, it's it a wet? sensor with a specific chip. No, it's a sensor with a specific chip. I think well, you you could have like a litmus paper that that changes color when it gets wet, but you want to check the humidity to see if it was like in a steamy shower and not entirely wet. So that's just, it's the, the reasoning is just speculation. Okay, good. Then that explains that. The, the, my thought about this, I'll link to an article I wrote for the Intego Max Security blog about the demise of the HomePod. And one of my thoughts is if they were going to come out with a HomePod Pro or some other HomePod, they wouldn't have just discontinued this one now. They would discontinue this one when the new one comes out. And, and I'm actually disappointed, and I wrote in this article that I'm disappointed that Apple hasn't done more with home audio. You know, they've got all the headphones since they bought Beats, and they've been doing their own headphones, and they're really doing cutting-edge stuff, even if they're kind of expensive, and the bag on those HomePods Max is, uh, AirPods Max is ugly, and the name is dumb. You can still buy, I Beats Solo Pros are on sale, like half price, grab them while they're hot. Um I got a pair. I love them. Yeah. Can't wear them too long. Yeah, but. no, they do, they do a lot in headphones, but in home audio, since the Apple Hi-Fi... No, the iPod Hi-Fi, it was called, which is like 10 years ago or more. Prior to that, they had a couple of pairs of computer desktop speakers that they sold back in the 90s. But they've never done anything else with speakers. And given my, my thought was that Apple was historically first a computer company, then a music company, then a mobile device company. And it's the whole iPod music realm of material, hardware, software that brought Apple from computers to mobile devices in a way. And not having anything for audio, not even updating the the last update to the Apple TV is more than three years ago, I think three and a half years, late 2017. That's what I've heard three years ago sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, that is kind of disappointing because I also think of Apple as an audio company to some degree. Yeah. But at least they've always had respect for it. Yeah. A lot of people who are interested in audio got Macs. Yes. Because of the way they handled music and production and that sort of thing. It was you could get a Windows box and throw some $99 software in there. Or you could get an Apple box and get some really, really good editing stuff. Yeah. And of course, that's also back in the time when all the good graphics software was only on Mac. And then it all got ported to Windows. And now it's pretty much parity across the two platforms. Yeah. I guess we're just, uh, we're, we're waxing, we're on the back porch, waxing nostalgic. We got to get out of the rocking chairs. And- <laughs> We've got to get the corn cob pipes out. Yeah, right, so, yeah. so this weekend, I was looking through my tech stuff to sell things on eBay. You know that I tend to sell things on eBay often. And, and oh, here in the UK... You're an uh, import-export business. <laughs> <laughs> here in the UK, about once a month, they send you a thing where you can list anything and pay a maximum of a one-pound fee if it's sold within the first 30 days. So I sold an old microphone, my mic processor, my mic boom, all of these things, my previous podcasting equipment that I didn't need because we were we had a chat last week talking about mic stands and mic booms, and I realized they're just taking up space. 
And at one point, I remember you saying to me, yeah, you know, keep the old mic just in case. But if I need a new mic, I can get it in 24 hours from Amazon if something happens to this one. So I'm really not worried about keeping it around, keeping up space. Yeah. But I did find this. I have an Apple TV HD. So this is the model from, I believe, 2015 or 2014. This, oh, this is the- It was just lying around? Yeah. But well, I replaced it. I replaced it with a 4K. The thing is, it's not even worth selling on eBay because I'd only get like 50 pounds. But if I keep it, I have an AirPlay device. I'm not sure if it does AirPlay 2 yet. I'll have to check. But I thought I'd keep it to have an AirPlay device in case I need one to connect something to. I thought there was an update for it that allowed it to do Apple AirPlay 2. I'm not sure which one's got updates. I haven't checked. I know that the airport, one of the airport expresses did. Maybe the, not not the one that plugs into the wall, but the one that's shaped like the Apple TV. Yeah, the flat one. I, that's yeah. all. I, I've got three of those. I should check. Yeah, and this also has a, a toss link out. Oh, you After are After this lucky. one, they didn't do that anymore. So That's yeah. a dandy thing. Hold on to that. Yep. HDMI. The USB port is just for... Plugging into the uh, computer. Re- restoring the software or something. It's got Ethernet and Wi-Fi. So I figured I'd keep this instead of selling it for 50 pounds because it could serve as an audio device. Absolutely. Oh, with that toss link out. Mm. But what... It's Toslink in now, other than an amplifier, right? So yeah. if you got a little pair of speakers or a standalone speaker, it's not going to use it. It's, it's weird that Toslink has gone away because it's a really good technology. I like it for hooking up the components to uh, a receiver. Really, it's I, and then coax. I have a, a an NAD CD player that I run coax out of into a, a receiver, and I love that. The sense of I'm getting, you know, that solid digital sound. Yeah. Another thing I have in my storage room is this box of cables. And I'm talking about not the usual box of cables that everyone has with Ethernet and like 7,000 USB cables. But I was surprised how many Toslink and HDMI cables. This this will be a project to go in, get cable ties, wrap them all in circles, nice and neat, little boxes by type for when I do need them, because there's an astounding number of cables up there. Well, whenever you get a device, they give you three. Here's, here's USB to Toslink, here's USB to 5 volt, here's USB everything. Uh, less and less now. That's true. Actually, you know, I got a piece, this headphone thing, it only has, it came with one cable, and that was the power cable yeah. to USB. You plug in your own dongle, yeah. plug it in, you know, power it however you want. So I guess so. There is less and less of that. I think we've reached the point where they're assuming that everyone has it. I don't know why I have so many USB cables. It might have been from, well, printers always had them, hard drives, external hard drives have them. You know for a fact if it's got that square plug, it probably came with a printer. Some musical stuff comes with that. Yeah. But for the most part, it's printers. Yeah, you you don't really see that with hard drives. And some of them, you ever seen the USB... I guess it's 3.0 where the plug is like wider than normal and it's kind of split in two parts. I've only got that on a few drives, hard drives. I don't think I've seen it. If I have, I've ignored it. So I've just sent you a link that shows different types of USB connectors. It's called a Type-B micro. It's for USB 3 only. The USB 2 micro is the one you have in everything from Kindles to, you know, cameras and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and that's not a common cable. Again, I've only seen that with hard drives. I still have tons of uh, Firewire. I've got FireWire cables. I've got drawers of FireWire cables. Yeah. When I was preparing my move to the UK in 2013, I got rid of all my FireWire cables. 
I got rid of all my SCSI cables. I got rid of all my Apple Talk cables that I had been holding on to, just thinking, you never know if you're going to need one. <laughs> but actually, today, if you need one, you go on eBay, you can get one for a buck or two, I'm sure. Right. It's like, when would you ever need a SCSI? I, like, I got an old zip drive. It needs a SCSI <laughs> cable. I got to. Well, maybe you do find a zip drive and you just got that one zip disk and you don't remember what's on it. And it could be those photos from that vacation to, you know, wherever. I, I don't want to think about what's on that zip drive disk. I just don't. And I'm not ever going to look. I got a whole bunch of them, actually. I used to use zip drives like crazy because audio files were so big, right, when we were producing. Yeah, I used so. to use them as my daily backups. Right. That idea didn't last. No. But anyway. Well, it was a good transitional thing between the floppy disk and, you know, other technologies, like affordable external hard drives. Uh, imagine back then having a large music library. What would you have put it on? You would have had to pay for a really expensive hard drive, w which was measured in tens of yeah. megabytes or hundreds of megabytes rather than in gigabytes <laughs> and terabytes. I um, That reminds me, I have to... I have to bring this up. I have, I've been doing this stuff for like 20 years. You've been paying attention to the Mac for 20 years. I don't think I've ever seen a cohort wait so long to update to the latest version of the operating system. I, I keep getting emails from people. I don't know if we've talked about this. I, know, I think we've talked about it off podcast, but... Offline, yeah. I'm getting a, a, a lot of email from people asking if I'll ever update my iTunes scripts for music. And of course, I did that two years ago. So it's uh, it's it's just very strange that people have waited so long to update. And it, I was thinking of old technology when you were talking about how we would have had to have managed our music collection. But I think two years is a long time to wait, don't you think? Yes and no. I've heard of a lot of people as well. And I think it has to do with the fact that Catalina required 64-bit apps. So maybe people had certain apps that they wanted to keep using that weren't updated. It's the only reason I can think of. I mean, I have a very good friend who's a partner in a company that sells apps who's still on Mojave. Really? Yeah, you know him. Yes, the I guy do. who always does things differently. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I grant that to him because, well, he's really kind of geeky. He's who he is, yeah. He's super geek. Yeah. Um, but it's okay. And then there's nothing wrong with that. I'm geeky too. But, um, I just, I always wanted to stay on the, 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 the front edge of it and I'm not. Hmm. Well, but we have to, you, you have to, cause you're developing and, and I have to, because I'm writing about this stuff. We don't have the choice. We don't have the luxury. Yeah. No, but even we don't have the luxury. We couldn't just sit back and say, oh, well, here's a new operating system. I'll wait until the first of the year, that kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. You're right. We couldn't do that. Right. Hey, I found a solution to a problem that I mentioned to you maybe a month ago, maybe more. And this is one of the most, one of the strangest solutions I've had to a problem with the music app. So if you recall, I had gotten some MP3 files and I put them in my library and I tried to add album artwork to it. And I would add the album artwork and I'd click OK and the album artwork wouldn't get added. There were also times where there were tags that I couldn't update on certain files. It only happened on some MP3 files. This was a particular album of shakuhachi music that someone sent me the files from. I got an email yesterday from a regular correspondent said, I'm having this problem with these MP3 files and tags not sticking, and I'm not sure what's going on. And I think it, someone on a forum said it's a permissions problem. And I said, I've looked into that. I can't figure out what it is. Then he wrote me back. And he told me that someone suggested that he disconnect his music app from AirPlay. 
So his HomePod mini had been selected in the music app for AirPlay, even if nothing was playing. He says, you won't believe this, but I took his advice and disconnected my HomePod mini from AirPlay. Then I could change the tags and they hold. Makes no sense to me, but it worked. I did the same thing with the album that was problematic for me. I switched from my AirPlay Sonos amp to computer. And <laughs> can I take a screenshot of you with your mouth open and surprise here? No, I, I won't do that. Yeah, I know. Switch like, back you know, from like, AirPlay oh to word. computer, put the artwork in, and it's stuck. Now, can you figure out why an AirPlay device selected would have something to do with what's happening to files in the library? I just can't imagine. Yeah. I, I find it interesting how many esoteric things like that happen with computing. You know, there are logical answers. File's too big, file name's got the wrong character, permissions, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's common. And, and these are like the first parts of the troubleshooting algorithm we think of. You know, restart it, turn it off, turn it on, that kind of thing. But something like this, it just makes no sense. It's just confusing. Is it stripping the artwork out before it sends it but out? it's not even then, sending. It, the, I don't know. There wasn't even anything playing in the music app. It's just the device, the device selected in the AirPlay button was an AirPlay device as opposed to being the computer itself or, you know, a wired speaker or something, internal speakers. Well, that's pretty weird. I have to, I'll have to double check that myself now, too, because I use that all the time for lots of different things. All right. Have we rambled enough? Yeah, that's enough rambling. This is what happens oh, when we don't oh, have an idea. did we accidentally record this? <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we don't have an idea for a podcast topic. I hope it hasn't bored too many of our listeners too much. It's, it's a mishigas. It's, uh, you know, what are you going to do? All right, next tracks? I guess something to talk about now. Now we can do our next tracks and we can exactly. talk about. Presumably we've all prepared that. I have. I got one too. Okay. Why don't you tell us about your next exactly. track? I was waiting for you to ask. <laughs> so I discovered someone a couple weeks ago in, I think I was just browsing on Apple Music and Jazz. And I tend to be curious about the ECM label, their jazz recordings. I like the style that they have. Some of it is sort of mellow and easygoing, and some of it is, is avant-garde and contemporary. And so I came across a name, put on an album. I said, wow, this is interesting. The, the artist's name, Nick Berch, N-I-K-B-A-U-M-L-O-U-T-S-C-H. And I put on a record called Hishidio, Piano Solo. And that was interesting. And he's, the, the, my next track now is a new one that just came out a couple of days ago called Entendre, which means here in French. So here's the thing. I tend to, I, I, I make preconceptions about artists who name their tracks like Module 55 and Module 58 underscore 12. And ooh, the really good Module 5, that's a long track. Or an artist who has three different groupings. One is a solo artist. One is Nick Berch's Mobile, and the other is Nick Berch's Ronin. It's like, anytime I hear a jazz thing, you know, such and such project, I'm like, dude, can't you be more creative than that? I, I look this guy up. It's, it's really weird. He talks about like Zen funk, and it's like influenced by Cage and, and Steve Reich and, and Morton Feldman, you know, all these things that I really like. He's really into Zen. It's minimal. It's, it's acoustic jazz. It's not electric stuff, though. He plays some prepared piano at times. The first piano record I listened to sounded a lot like Steve Reich and, and other types, Philip Glass, other types of minimalism. This one that I just started listening to before we started recording, Entendre, it's the first time listening to it, sounds a lot more melodic. I listened to a couple of the other records by the different, the Ronin or the Mobile or whatever, and a couple of them were really tedious, this sort of, you know, 
what I like to call fundamentalist minimalism, where it's just repeat, 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 repeat with nothing going on. Some of them were interesting. So I'm on the fence. There's some really interesting music, but like, dude, can't you come up with interesting names for your songs at least? You know, I remember I saw Brad Meldow live a few years ago, and I have a bunch of live recordings that I've found here and there of his uh, performances. And he'll go on and he'll play and then he'll say, you know, here's the names of the songs I played. And this was like Blackbird. And then that was followed by Untitled Original and then Untitled Original. So what he does is he plays the songs for a while before he finds titles for them. And then eventually he, they will have titles. So hearing Untitled Original in that case isn't surprising. If he just put like, you know, Study 67, that would be weird. But anyway, this guy with his modules and stuff and it's it's... It's interesting music. It's fun. It can be annoying, some of it. It's a lot. It's a, it's what they call over here a pick and mix. What's that? Do you know what that is? Pick and mix? A pick and mix. What is it? It's when you go to like a candy counter and you pick a little bit of this, a little bit of that, put them in your bag, and you pay the same price for everything. Oh, I never heard of it. You get them in cinemas here. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about that. Anyway, what do you got? All right. Yeah. Well, it's funny that we've been listening to a lot of jazz lately because, you know, we're not jazz guys. Last week, I picked Mel Torme, of all crazy things. And another album that I used to listen to in my house, which popped in, is this terrific Oscar Peterson trio album called Night Train. Uh, it was recorded in two days in uh, December of 1962, came out in 1963. And this record, my father listened to a lot. My father was a big Oscar Peterson fan. And when he played piano, he tried to play in the Oscar Peterson style, which is essentially less is more and... Nice, crunchy little voicings that just kind of dart around on the keyboard. It's just this nice sound. And plus the trio is Ray Brown and Ed Thigpen, who are tremendous musicians in their own right. So anyway, this record is, is terrific if you're not really a big jazz fan, because it's got songs on it you're familiar with. Night Train, you probably know. Sea Jam Blues, you'll know. Georgia On My Mind. Um, and a bunch of other familiar things uh, by Ellington and... And, and some Oscar Peterson stuff. I didn't know that when they released the CD bonus, uh, when they released the CD version, they added six additional tracks that I'd never heard before. Um, and they're 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 pretty good. But he does a fantastic version of "This Could Be the Start of Something Big" by Steve Allen. You know the one. Da -da 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 it's really a great record. I'm just so happy I've rediscovered it. In fact, this might be CD worthy. I might, I might actually go out and get the CD version of this because it's just, it's just terrific. Um, one of the things that they talk about at the Wikipedia article about it is that all the songs are really short. They're like two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, no long rambling improvs. And they think it's because, uh, he wanted to get some radio airplay because at the time in the early sixties, Jazz was was kind of trying to get into the mainstream uh, on radio stations and classical stations were starting to play jazz and things like that. So that's that's an interesting thought. But um, normally Oscar Peterson plays six, seven, eight minute songs, that sort of thing, kind of jamming kind of things. But uh, this is a terrific little album of, of nice gems, I think. And it's the Oscar Peterson trio, Night Train. This was episode number 206 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Next Track Cast. And don't forget, you can support The Next Track 
by making regular donations via Patreon. We're ad-free and self-sustaining, so your support is what keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.